here's the story that we're looking at. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as the Lord said, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you will bruise him on the heel. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would open up this story of Adam and Eve and what happened here and just help us to see how this relates to us and help us to see how this relates to the hope of Jesus. Pray that you would open each person up in our heart and, and let us know that you're here, that you care about us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, what's happened so far in chapter 1 was God creates the world six days, then the seventh day he rests. And, and so, the story starts with him creating this garden and Adam and Eve and plants and everything. And their life exists within God's rest. In other words, God's done all the work. He's built everything, made everything, all the good things that they're enjoying in life. God's given them freely as a gift. They haven't earned it. They haven't done anything good or bad to deserve it or to not deserve it. It's all just been out of his graciousness, and they've just been enjoying it. And that's what it means by entering into God's rest. Their life was built around the grace of God and the gifts that God gives, and just they're just enjoying all the good gifts that he has. And this story tells us about how, you know, for first of all, that, that still is the case. There's tons of things in the Bible that say God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous like. In other words, what, what we start to realize in, in following Jesus is that every good thing is a gift from God. How is it that we're just so, things have gotten so messed up that we can't enjoy it anymore? 
How is it that even though we have so much good around us, we tend to just focus on all the things that need to get fixed? How is it we just have such lack of joy? Why is it that there's such turmoil? Why is it that some people are ruling over other people, oppressing them? Why is it that work has so much toil in it? Why is it sometimes it just feels like you get to a place where I've been working on this, I'm not, just not sure it really means anything. Why is there so much disappointment? Why is there so much loneliness? He's explaining why if God is still doing good things for us, if he's still involved in our life, and if every good thing is a result of God's graciousness, and that is still the case that we can enter into God's rest, why is it we're not experiencing that rest? And and how is it that Jesus can bring us back? And so this story really starts off this journey that gives little indications of it, But it's really a story that just continues on, that becomes clearer and clearer, and probably has its clearest expression in the Gospels with Jesus. And so here's how the story starts, the one we're looking at today. It says, now the serpent was more crafty, or maybe a better word would be cunning. He was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said to you, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, the point, needless to say, isn't to say, oh, well, that's why I'm afraid of snakes. <laughs> you know, It's not so much the snake as an animal that's being highlighted, because the snake, it says, is very clear, it's just like any of the other beasts of the field, except for one thing. It's more cunning than any of it. So, so what's being highlighted is this idea of cunning. And what that is is that you're achieving your end regardless of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, you, Some people say it's deceptive, but all deceptive means is that you don't care really what the truth is. What you care about is accomplishing your end, and whatever knowledge of good and evil there is, it just sort of gets twisted to whatever purpose it can serve, whether right or wrong, as long as you feel like it's achieving your end. So that's being contrasted here with God's use of the knowledge of good and evil, where God knows what's right and wrong. But his end never violates that. In other words, he understands what's good and what's bad for you. He knows everything about you. And every good gift that he gives is geared for you to be able to enjoy things. But the serpent is looking at good and evil in a totally different way. It's not prioritized as it can't be violated. He's just looking, this is where I want to go, and however the good and evil tends to fit along that path, I'm just going to take it. And so what's highlighted here at the beginning is sort of the problem that we face, the decision that if we have the knowledge of good and evil, which direction are we going to go? If we have the knowledge of good and evil, are we going to, and we all have the knowledge of good and evil, we have it in our conscience, and the Bible even says it doesn't really add, the Bible doesn't really add any more information that your conscience doesn't already provide. Why? Because we've all eaten of the fruit, you could say. We all have the knowledge of the good and evil. We know. Now, if you're like me, your conscience may be a little bit dead in some aspects because you've just been sort of like, you know, 
pushing it down for so long. But, but you even are kind of aware of that and just know that. So the question is, is, it's not just the knowledge of good and evil. Will this knowledge of good and evil, will you be like God and just always do the right thing? Or will we be like the serpent and cunning and constantly adjust our perspective of good and evil, right and wrong, whatever it is we say, to whatever end we think we need to get to? And what the story is saying, it's connecting the knowledge of good and evil on our part to death. And that's a statement you can agree or disagree with. But what the Bible's clearly saying, or what God's saying is, look, the knowledge of good and evil, all that's going to do for you is just cause death in the relationships that you have, death in the world around you, a death to your own self. And so that's how the story starts off. It's questioning that. And God's clearly said that he thinks, look, you don't really need the knowledge of good and evil. It's only going to result in something bad. All you need is the gifts that I'm giving you, the grace that I'm giving to you, and that you're going to enjoy life more just pursuing in our thinking. Now, what's the knowledge of good and evil? What would be an example of that? Um, I've got six kids, so I'll give a kid example, even though not everyone chooses to have kids or whatever. Look, when you pursue things with your kids, you think, here's the knowledge of good and evil. I need to figure out what's the right school to send my kids, the right piano tutor. I was forced to take piano lessons, I'm sure most of you. When I gained freedom, I never once played the piano again for the rest of my life, and I refused to even touch the keyboard to this day. That's how bad I am. But you think through, what's the right way to do this? What's and the thought is, if I do the right thing, then things will go well for my kids. That's one way of thinking. The other way of thinking is just, God, I'm just not going to be able to figure this out. I don't know. I tend to make the wrong decisions. Will you just do a miracle? Will you just be gracious and let things work out for my kids? It's two different ways of thinking. One is saying, I'm just going to have to rely on God's graciousness and God's goodness and God's ability to work it out. And whatever good, I'm just going to try and get whatever good I can just from God's gift. And the other way is saying, no, I need to know the knowledge of good and evil. I need to know the right way and wrong way to do things. And to the extent that I can do the right thing, then things will go well for me. It's two different ways of thinking and approaching life. And here's how God says it works out. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make oneself wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband also, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. So she looked at these two options of pursuing life, one option of just enjoying the grace of God and whatever gift God gives and just enjoying that. But what was enticing is, is she felt like this tree of knowledge and good and evil might give her something a little extra. She had the gifts of God. It wasn't that she was denying that anything was a gift of God. She knew the garden and everything. There was all these gifts of God. She knew that was it. But she thought she might get something just a little bit extra if she went down this road. She knows that, like in the example of the kids, God's taking care of the kids. But if I just can figure out some right and wrong things on my end of things, and if I can get that right, then I'm going to get something a little bit more 
than what God is. I might have a little more security than what God is giving us. And what they found is when she went down that road of trying to get a little bit more or gain some more security that, that would be something that isn't completely dependent on the gift of God, that is somehow dependent on her knowing right and wrong, the right way of doing things, the wrong way of doing things. Can I get a little bit ahead on this side of things? What they found was their eyes were opened, they saw that they were naked, and they tried to fix that by putting some fig leaves. Now, the point isn't that like, Oh, we should or shouldn't be. I don't even want to go into the whole thing of Garden of Eden, the whole naked business stuff. It's, that's not the point, right? Whatever you feel more power to you or whatever, you know. The, the point is, is that they felt like immediately they didn't see that there was something better. They didn't get something more. The only thing that happened is they started to realize there was something wrong now, was there something wrong? Well, God didn't think there was anything wrong with where they were. He was fine with where they were. It's not even necessarily that there is something wrong. They just became suspicious or thought that there was something wrong. And it may or may not have been wrong. I mean, you can argue about whether it wasn't. Most of the stuff that we discover on this side of things, what's the right or right? People argue about what's the right and wrong. We don't know what's the right and wrong way of doing it, raising your kids with this way or right and wrong way to get your job, right and wrong way to go through it. I mean, you argue about it. People talk about it. But the point isn't whether it's right or wrong. The point is, is all that happens is you start becoming conscious or worried or fearful that there's something wrong with you. And you frantically start trying to fix it. So the first thing he brings up is, what's the death? What look like? Look, you're, you can have rest if you're just resting in the idea that God loves you, he cares about you, good things are happening to you simply because of what God's doing, not because of what you're doing. Or you can go down this road and think that you're going to get a little bit more, a little more security, a little safer, a little bit farther ahead by trying to figure out the right and wrong way of doing things and, and what the story is saying is if you go down that road, the first sign of death is that you're going to start realizing there's things that are wrong or thinking that things may or may not be wrong and trying to find solutions and fixing. You're just going to have this burden of work that falls on you to start trying to fix things that may or may not need fixing. It doesn't get you ahead. It just starts to burden down with this burden that things need to get fixed and I'm the one who needs to fix it. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, which is interesting, because he thought, you know, I, he had fixed that problem, right? <laughs> well, it wasn't, he knew it wasn't really a fix. And he said, who, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent you gave me deceived me. The serpent deceived me and I ate. 
So what happens when we go down this road of trying to evaluate life and relating to people based on what's right, what's wrong, how do I do the right thing? First, it just sends us down this road of sort of looking at yourself. We don't find anything good. We just start seeing all the bad, and we start trying to fix it. The second thing is it damages our relationships because we start having to hide parts about who we are. No, no one, I guarantee you, no one in this room is completely transparent. As you get older, you learn to be transparent in one area so that you can hide another area, right? Oh, I'm just very transparent. No. <laughs> There's, but God knows who you are. You're not going to be able to hide it from God. And he loves you, and he cares about you. And the rain is still falling on you, whether you've decided you're righteous or unrighteous. Good things are still coming about in your life because of God's grace, because he loves you and cares about you. But what this thing is, when we start taking on this burden of saying, I'm the one who's now responsible for making things work out, all we become cognizant of is our failings. And we go down this road of trying to fix things, and we go down this road of trying to just hide who we are from everybody and we put up this false front which is why like on facebook or something some people put their hometown some people don't <laughs> i love looking at pastors biographies because they selectively pick some things and twist facts like a cunning snake <laughs> to present this image of themselves that like well i don't know when did you get all these tattoos i was like three years ago <laughs> you were like pretty they create this image. And why is that? Because we're afraid that if people see who we really are and, and see what, and our fear is that we, all we see is these failings that will be judged, basically. And we're absolutely correct in that assessment. I guarantee you if people know who you are, they will completely judge you. Keep it as much of a secret as you possibly can <laughs> because people will judge you. <laughs> As soon as you show some weakness or something, they will look, oh, well, let me mentor you out and just completely judge you in every aspect or form. But you have to understand, God knows who you are, and he's not judging you. Jesus says, I didn't come here to judge. I came here to help you get back to this place of rest. I came here to help you see that this path that you've taken where you think you're going to get a little bit extra but by trying to do something on your own, all you're really doing is just causing harm to yourself. And think of the situation that God's in now. If it is true, if it is the case that God exists, and if he does love us, then it's an easy deduction to say every good thing in this world has to be a result of God because just look at history, look at our own personal history tells us I don't really think too many good things would come. <laughs> but if it's true that every good thing that comes from God is a gift given graciously, think of the position that we've put God in now because every time God does something for us, like say he gives us a really great job, what do we do? We think, well, I figured out the right way to do this interview and I just you know, studied really hard, I worked hard, I've been working really hard up to this point. What do we do? We take credit for it which I don't think God really cares, except for the fact that when we take credit for it on the basis of us knowing the right and wrong, what that does is it creates this false hope that we're the ones who are going to secure things, and we fail to see the gift that God had given us. You know, when God, when you get all of a sudden this stuff, everybody has, even 
bigwig people, if they're honest, the rarity, like you get to talk to someone, there's always some funky thing that ended up happening <laughs> that got them to where it is that they are. It wasn't this straight line that they had decided this big grandiose plan. They've tried, and in, in hindsight, cast it that way and write a book and make a bunch of money off you for buying their book because in hindsight, they've cast it as this. If you do this and this and this and this and this, then you'll have everything that I have. What usually happens is there's some th- something funny, coincidence, some funny thing that, that makes you realize this is something that's happening that's a gift. And if we embrace that, it's not about who gets the credit. It's about who's going to carry the burden of that. If you think that it's you that made it happen, then you're going to carry that burden. And what that burden's going to do to you, it's just going to rack you with fear of failure. It's going to cause you to hide. It's going to start damaging all the relationships. It's going to put you on this frantic thing to just constantly be catching up with fixing everything. But, but if you see at the beginning, that I think this is a gift from God, then all the burden falls on him. It just becomes, well, what, what's God going to do? Obviously, I'm not going to be able to do it. I, for my part, maybe can say, God, help. <laughs> That's about it. That's what I'm adding to the equation. It's up to God. Is God gracious? Is God loving? Is he, is he, does he know who I am? Does he know the things that, are, that I'm going to enjoy more so than even I do? And, and is he willing to do that? Then you're in a situation where you wait and see what happens. And that's why Jesus says, take my yoke, it's light. Why? Because he's taking that burden on himself. And it's Jesus that's being pointed to when it says here, between your seed and her seed. This is something that comes up continually. It's the beginning of all the promises about the Messiah. God said to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He wasn't talking about Israel as a nation. He's just saying there will be a person that's born that will save us from this whole process save us from this choice, that will bring us back to this time of innocence in the garden, that will bring us back to this rest, that will help us understand that that God's grace is good enough for us, that we're not going to get anything extra, that that we can just live by trusting and by faith in in God, and and that he's going to bring us back. And how is he going to bring us back? He's going to bring us back by forgiveness. If we could live this life of good and evil by always doing right, we'd never need forgiveness. But you only have to be married or something like that to realize the only reason why I'm married is because Karen's willing to forgive me. (laughs) The only reason why, because I'm willing to forgive her. Every single friendship, every single relationship that you have, I guarantee you, if you look at it honestly, the only reason why you have it is because of forgiveness. The day you stop forgiving is the day that relationship dies. The day they stop forgiving is the day that relationship dies. Now, the thing is about forgiveness is it's one thing to forgive, but the disciples said, well, how many times do you forgive? I mean, how many, that doesn't solve anything. Is it just this permanent thing? That's why Jesus needed to die on the cross. And what that did is it fixed the relationship that was there. And it's mind-boggling to think that that would be required. You always think, well, I could see how that was required for this person. For, for me, I mean, you know, I could see maybe losing a finger. <laughs> maybe like, you know, stubbing a toe. But definitely not something that would require some to actually die. 
we're just not cognizant of how much damage, and we're not cognizant of the point to which we contribute to the situation that's all messed up in the world around us. But what the promise of Jesus is, is that he will restore our relationship because of forgiveness, so, so that he's saying that what he will do will be stronger. A relationship that's based on forgiveness, we think of that as weaker. That's actually stronger. Why? Because it's impossible. I mean, if God's always willing to forgive, and if he forgives us at our worst, then how can that ever be taken away? That's God saying, I love you and I care for you. And it's unconditional forgiveness. Whatever it is that you've done, I still love you. I still care for you. And what the promise of Jesus is that we just celebrated on Easter is him promising to make it all right. That whatever you've done to mess over someone else or whatever, you may not participate in it. Maybe you might be able to participate in it, but Jesus is somehow going to work to make that right. So the hope that we have here is really a hope that we can get back to the garden, get back to that peace, get back to that rest, and just be able to enjoy life, enjoy our work, enjoy our relationships. And it's going to be imperfect because there's going to be, we're going to be doing all things messing up. Everyone else is going to be doing things messing up. And it's going to be a giant mess. But the hope is that in the midst of that mess, through forgiveness and through Jesus working things out to be mediating, that we'll be able to have some moments where we can really taste what it was like in the garden. Moments where a relationship between you and someone else, part of the gift is that God gives us, it's not money or cars or things like that. It is that, but that's silly stuff. The, the biggest thing is like when you have a friendship and it goes well and you've had a really fun time with someone, that's a gift that God's given. And, and what Jesus is saying is like, look, if you can just relax Ask for forgiveness. Put yourself, realize the situation that, that you need help. Not for the sake of putting yourself down compared to everyone else because everyone's in the same boat. But just for the purpose of being able to see the gifts that God gives. There's this little passage where Jesus talks and he says, the, the one who's been forgiven little loves little. And the one who's been forgiven much loves much. What he's saying is, Forgiveness isn't a bad thing. Everybody needs it. But the people who don't think that they need forgiveness, their heart hardens, and it becomes harder to love. But to the extent that we realize we are messed up and we just need hope, to that extent, we love more. There's a change that happens. And that change is made possible with Jesus. We're going to take a, a second here. Maybe everyone can bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. And not for religious reasons, just to give everyone a little bit of privacy. And some of you have put your faith in Jesus, but there's been some real heavy burdens. Uh, you're feeling stressed out. You're afraid. You're trying to fix some stuff. Uh, maybe it's health. Or I just encourage you just now to just sort of lift that up to Jesus. Uh, just ask him for his help. And there's folks here who 
you know, you, you've just never put your faith in Jesus. You've been going down that road, uh, trying to do it on your own, trying to figure out the right way to, and you just realize that you need help. And, and you really don't know how this is going to work out with Jesus, but there's something in your heart that's saying, I just want to give this a shot and give this a try. Um, if you'd like to ask Jesus to be your Savior and, and try this other route, of exploring and seeing how much of your life really is a gift from God, how much is really according to His grace, and, and really seeing how much does God really love me, and you'd like to go down that path, I, I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. Uh, just raise your hand for a second. There, there won't be any follow-up. It'll just be between you and God, but I'll pray for you right now. Raise your hand if you'd like to accept Jesus as your Savior. Okay, I see your hand. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I and my brother, we just ask for forgiveness for sins, Lord, and just pray that you would take this burden off of everything falling on us. Lord, all of us, Lord, we need forgiveness for our sins. I pray that you'd give forgiveness. I pray that you would give uh, the Holy Spirit to this brother of mine to let him know that you're with him, you're there with him. I pray you would open his eyes to be able to see how much you love him and care for him. And Lord, all the burdens that people have lifted up to you right now, I just pray that this week you would give hope and that you'd give encouragement, Lord, and that you'd make it clear that every good thing is coming from you and help us to give you praise and glory for that right now. We lift this up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. I love how at the 